Hey guys, welcome to Fuck Small Talk. I'm your host, Mariah Joe, life and recovery coach. I have my master's in sociology and a few certifications in nutrition and behavioral health. I'm also a certified peer recovery specialist, which is a fancy way of saying I use my own experience with addiction and mental health to help others heal too. And I'm here to say fuck that, to fake fluffy talk for the sake of fitting in. You don't need to fit in, you belong. Let's dive into this week's big talk topic. Hi, welcome to another solo episode. So I am recording this um, to for, for the intention of it being after you've listened to the adult child episode with Andrea Ashley. She's she's the host um, of the adult child podcast. And so go ahead and listen to that episode first before you jump into this episode, because what I'm going to do is reference a lot on the topic of being an adult child myself. So that being said, um, I think I'm just going to dive right in because I've been avoiding this talk. Um, so I don't know. I get like anxiety. You know, I I um I get so excited to share my story and I'm here for it and I'm so ready for it. And then there's also something inside me that's like, I don't know, we could just procrastinate or maybe I'm not ready yet or I don't know. I just don't feel it right now, you know, so like I'm just saying fuck that um, to all of my inside talks and my inside thinking and my inside voice. And we are just jumping right into it because I really, really want to share part of my story. And um, yeah, I think uh, part of me wants to show up and like not express how anxious I get to record these episodes because I want to seem like such a badass. Um, And then there's other parts of me that I'm like, but this is what this podcast is for, is to express the fact that like so many of us feel like we are debilitated or stifled by our anxiety or by our depression or just like whatever um, emotions or thoughts come up as patterns in our life. And those happen to me too, all of the time, all of the time. And I just, I wanted to express that and let you guys know that that, I don't know if it's normal. Um, I know that it's common. And I know that it stops so many people from doing the things that they say that they want to do and following their dreams. So, um, yeah, don't don't let it to the best of your ability. You know, try to just show up, press record, do the damn thing and put out uh, any part of your story that you feel like you want to share. If that is something that you want to do, whatever project you're working on, however you're creative, however you show up for the world, for yourself and for other people be brave, do the thing. I found out that I was an adult child a couple of years ago. And so when I was talking with Andrea, she mentioned it was just a few years ago that I found her podcast. And it's crazy how much I've learned about myself and how much I've grown in my recovery since I found that particular podcast. And um, I think just honestly, that particular term, because when I first found the term adult child, I hated it. I'm going to be real with you. I still don't like it. I don't like that term. I don't love that that is the word that is being used or the the term, I guess. I don't know. Adult child to me sounds like I just want to reject that um, because um, I don't know. I, I've always wanted to not be treated like a little kid. I've always felt more like an adult anyway um, with my emotions and, you know, how I show up in the world and handle situations. And that has a lot to do with the fact that I'm an adult child. 
Um, so it's kind of, it, it reminds me a lot of when I got into um, Narcotics Anonymous, I, I stepped into my first meetings in early recovery and took that route to do 12-step programming to really kick off my recovery. And so when I went into my first recovery meeting, even in treatment, you know, people were like, it's so important to call yourself an addict. It's important to address what it is, the reality of the situation. And I'm like, I don't like labels. <laughs> I don't like that assumption. Don't call me that. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me who I am. Um, because I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, so how dare you diagnose me, right? So I don't know. I feel like there's some angst there that is so funny because it's part of the laundry list of the ACOA program, the Adult Children of Alcoholics program. So if you're interested in um, the adult child program in general, go to ACOA, just Google that, ACOA, um, or Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, it's now Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families because it has broadened over the years as the program grows. So that's another 12-step program that you can dive into if you're interested. I love doing the reading of the literature of all different 12-step programs and just soaking up all different areas of recovery because I believe that we are multifaceted human beings and there's so many different um, aspects of who we are and make up, you know, our past and then our present and also what we want for our future. So how we want our recovery to look is unique to each person. And so I guess that's why I'm here to kind of like mush them all together to tell you guys, yes, I've definitely walked certain pathways in my recovery, but um, I'm just constantly looking for more and more knowledge. So I think what I'm going to do is just jump right into my story and just kind of tell it how it is. And then I'll explain different parts of it um, maybe as I go on. I don't really know how it's going to unfold. My storytelling is always kind of like I get a little lost down certain paths and have to come back to where I was, you know, supposed to be teaching from. So, uh, okay, my story. <laughs> Uh, I, I grew up in a small rural North Dakota town. It is about an hour away from Fargo, southwest in North Dakota, and it is tiny. Um, the town, so actually I didn't grow up in a town. I grew up on a farm and our farm was about eight miles out of the nearest town, which also was a teeny tiny town. I'm not kidding. There was like 80 people or something like it's a really small population. And so yeah, growing up on a farm in the middle of nowhere was so beautiful in so many ways. It was wonderful and also um, not wonderful in a lot of ways. And so I guess that's just part of my story. And I want to reiterate that just for the sake of the podcast and the sake of my mission here is to tell my story, but I'm not here to blame or shame or uh, throw anyone under the bus for any part of my story and any part of my past. There's been thousands of people that are part of my story, whether they be old friends, acquaintances, people that were in my classrooms, teachers, um, you know, all different types of people that are part of my story and have built me to be who I am today. And so my position that I take and that I decided to take in early recovery is to take responsibility for my life and for my future for my feelings and for my thoughts and for my behaviors that follow those things. And um, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm here to do. So, all right. So without further ado, okay. So growing up in that, in that farmhouse in the middle of nowhere was very challenging. 
in the aspect of the fact that I grew up with two uh, parents that struggled with alcoholism and um, we had domestic violence in our home, my parents now through my understanding of what an adult child means, meaning that I grew up in a dysfunctional family home surrounded with alcohol um, and abuse is part of my story as well. I grew up that way, but also so did my parents. And so my parents were really young. My dad and mom moved out to that little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Literally, I call it Cornfield USA sometimes. And I'm just explaining to people where I came from. Like, there was not a lot of people around. Our home was in the middle of trees and we were surrounded. So we were secluded. We were isolated out there. And like, yes, we had one neighbor that lived nearby. And then the next house that, you know, two houses down was my papa and nana's home. And they are my great grandparents who were the best support. I I have so much that I want to get into about papa and nana being there for me. But when I address, you know, that I had support and so much love, I can't even express how loved I knew I was as a kid from Papa and Nana. Um, they were there for us, for me and my sisters, when we really needed a second set of parents to step in and teach us a, a lot of things about life and how to be good people and um, how to love ourselves and how to, uh, I, I don't know, they, they let us feel safe in times when it wasn't always like that at our farmhouse surrounded by those trees. You know, we were pretty, we were pretty secluded out there in the middle of nowhere. And so we knew, thank God, you know, like our saving grace was Papa and Nana being really close by. And, you know, there were many times where we would leave our farmhouse and just walk to Papa and Nana's or we'd get off the bus at Papa and Nana's and know that Nana would have dinner ready for us and we'd be playing with Papa or we'd be out in the garden helping them or, you know, it was structure and it was love. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, we had a lot of that in our home as well. You know, my mom, such a caring, beautiful person. Anybody that knows my mom knows that she is like the biggest hearted, most kind woman ever. She's, I'm just, I'm so grateful to say that like, I have a lot of her characteristics and a lot of her attributes. I have a, so many people tell me that my voice sounds like hers. I look like her. I got her brown eyes. I love my mom. Um, I also want to jump into a discussion real quick that yes, um, my father has been abusive since before I was born. Um, he has been very angry, very hurt, um, and been numbing with alcohol all of his life, you know, but so has my mother. Um, and I'm not here to tell their story. I'm not here to try to explain that I even understand where they are in their life at this point in their lives or where they've been. It's not my life to understand. It's not my story to tell. What I am sharing is my story based on my experiences, based on the people that raised me. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a little hesitant, like jumping into this because I have so much love and respect for both my papa and nana and their daughter, who is my grandma, my only grandma on that side. Um, and then my parents, um, I think that that's the tricky part about generational trauma is that without someone being 
the catalyst for change and being the one to bring up the toxicity and the trauma and um, the dysfunction and just being willing to communicate that either with the family or with themselves, first of all, and then like figure out how to how to heal and how to start to move forward in a way that doesn't look like this typical family pattern, right? Like we have all of this alcoholism in my family with my father's father being a very abusive man, very immersed in alcohol throughout the majority of his life, you know? So, you know, that was my grandpa on my dad's side. And so my dad grew up like that, which, I mean, that's what he knew, you know, and I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying that, um, that it was okay the way that we were treated as kids. Um, and I guess like as adults too, you know, like that's, that's who my dad um, was raised by. And so it's how he became, you know, without different resources and different, a different way. You know, it's, uh, you can't be what you can't see. But as a kid, I didn't understand that. You know, as a kid, I had no clue how to comprehend generational trauma. I didn't even know that that's what we were in. I didn't know that I was in a cycle of family dysfunction. I didn't know that this was, um, you know, I'm not really, I didn't really know that like that was how my dad was raised or my mom was raised. I didn't know that my mom's like dad, I didn't know that my grandpa, when he passed away, when I was five, I didn't grasp and understand that it was due to his drinking, you know, and that his liver had failed. I didn't get that. I didn't understand all of it. Cause why would I, as a kid, what kind of kid really understands that? But when you're in the middle of it, all you know, is that like you were born into a home that's on fire <laughs> and you, and you just assume that everybody else's homes are on fire. And this is just how you live life. Like, this is just what you have to deal with because that's what life is. But um, I think that that is where it got really tricky as a teenager, feeling like I was sick of the anger and the fighting and the unpredictability, you know, not knowing what was going to happen when my dad got home from work. You know, he worked on the railroad and so he was gone sometimes for days at a time. And when he'd come home, it was like so unpredictable. We didn't know what dad we were going to get. You know, was this the dad that was, um, you know, raging through the house and destroying everything in his path and we had to hide from him or just leave home? Or was this, you know, the dad that was going to load up the back of the pickup and grab our, our farm dog and say, hey, who wants to go fishing? Um, it was very confusing, I think, as a kid. And so as a teenager, I just started to say, like, you know, fuck that. Like, I'm not here for your unpredictability. So I'm going to go spend the time at friends' houses. And, you know, I started partying really young. I started drinking on, you know, in my own story, you know, my addiction started at 13, probably before then with certain behaviors, but my drinking really started at 13, 14, 15. It was already out of control. You know, I was drinking a lot and drinking to blackout and drinking to definitely get drunk. And, um, I didn't understand any of that either. You know, it's what we did growing up in a small farm town. It's what everybody did. I had a graduating class of 24 people, um, not joking. <laughs> and it was really small. I had a lot of cousins. Um, everybody knew everybody. And that was that, you know, so there's blessings in that. And there's also parts of my story that I know reflect on the fact that I felt so isolated 
because that is what was happening at home. There was dysfunction at home to the point where I didn't know if it was safe to go home some nights. And everybody seemed to know everybody, but somehow I still had to keep the secret. And I, I wasn't supposed to talk about what had happened the night before, you know, like dad would come home, rampage through the house. You know, I remember this night that he came home and shattered my mom's stained glass lamp, which was she got from her father, my grandpa, who had passed away. And it was it was one of her prized possessions. You know, just it was it's still to this day, like I love stained glass. You know, it's it was so beautiful and it was just something that was sentimental and so important to her. And this is why he destroyed it. You know, it's that um, it's the abuse, you know, ruining everything that you love to make a point um, and to control. And the next day we had to go to school and just carry on and not tell counselors, not tell teachers. I mean, I definitely told some of my best friends like they knew everything that was going on at home. But what do you do from there? You know, I'm like telling my best friends who are like 10, you know, because I'm 10 and we're all trying to figure out what this means and what this looks like. And then I'm asking them to not tell their parents because I don't want them to ask questions or talk to my parents because I don't want to get in trouble because I dealt with that before. You know, I knew very much through um, trial and error that any time that I would open my mouth and tell either um, an adult, like a teacher or whatever, or even my papa and nana, it was, it would just get way, way worse and it would just not make anything better. So I just stopped, I stopped sharing it, which means that I held a lot of that in. And I didn't know at the time that I was slowly building a lifestyle because I was, because I was living in a life of secrecy. I feel like I've, I've just kind of always lived this double life where this is the reality of what happens at home and how I feel inside my body. And then I'm going to go out into the world and smile and do what's expected of me and tell people, yes, I'm fine. Everything's great. I'm having a great day. Um, and to just not worry other people or to just hide the fact that this is my reality, you know? And so I've been doing that literally since I was a little kid. I was trained to lie and manipulate on purpose in order to cover up the dysfunction in my home. And then people wonder, like, you know, oh, what went wrong? You know what I mean? Like, um, it gets very, very confusing as kids who don't understand how to regulate their emotion, especially when their environment is super dysregulated. No wonder why our nervous systems don't understand how to experience life, process life, and then express our feelings and thoughts accordingly. No wonder, you know, like this isn't something that is just innate in human beings. We have to learn this. And when we grow up with all of this chaos and unpredictability, it really creates an attachment style in someone that is very rooted in anxiety, you know, and in skepticism and just not trusting the world around them, adults in their world, themselves, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a shit show and it's a lot to unpack. And so it's been, it's been a lot to try to unlearn and it's been a lot to learn, you know, but that's something that when I went to treatment in 2019, I 
had to make the decision, like I said, to take responsibility for my own life. So learning about an adult, being an adult child, learning about that term and learning that my parents also grew up in dysfunction. So they are products of their environment as well. And so I don't know, I think like for me, that took a lot of this resentment and hate and um, anger, whatever else I was harboring inside me towards both my parents. It really took all of that away. And it allowed me to look at them as human beings that are their own people. They're not my parents. And that's it. Like they are multifaceted people, just like the rest of us, just like all of all of us, you know. Um, I think as a kid, we forget, or I guess it's just not natural to view your, your parent as someone who has their own life with their own personality and their own wishes and dreams and friends and stuff like that. You know, I just, um, I guess to me, all I knew is that they weren't there for me in the exact ways that I really needed. And when I felt like I needed this emotional support or, whatever it was, it wasn't always met. And so sometimes it was met and it was met beautifully. And sometimes I could go to my mom and express myself and really be given the support that I really needed. And I love that so much. It's why I love my mom. It's why I know that she is an amazing mother. On the other hand, there were times where I knew because she was drinking that my mother in the form that I needed her to be, didn't exist that day. And I would have to wait until she decided to come out of her bender um, or, you know, come back to me. You know what I mean? I had to wait for an unpredictable amount of time before it would be settled again enough, like the emotion or like whatever would be settled enough where it would be safe for me to open up and be vulnerable with her again or with, you know, in my home in general, you know, I had to, I had to wait a lot of times for both of them to be available and to be there for me the way that I just needed them to be unconditionally. So like I was saying, I didn't know that the way that I was being raised and just the way that my life was unfolding, the friends that I was having, the small town um, group of people that I knew, the small town drinking, the starting to drink beer at 13. I mean, like that felt amazing. I knew that when I reached for alcohol and when I drank enough of it, I felt numb enough to feel freaking good and finally relaxed in my mind. And I felt like fun, you know, and I felt cool and I felt like I belonged and it was, it was great. And um, I didn't know that I was creating an addiction and I didn't know that what I was feeling was depression or anxiety. And I had no clue that I had this thing called complex PTSD. I didn't understand that that's what that means. And complex PTSD is really trauma. It's post-traumatic stress disorder, but it is complex because it has happened over a long period of time. And so for me, that is from you know birth until even today, I'm still sifting through the reality of my upbringing and um, trying to figure out how to unlearn some of these things that I've um, 
that I've, I don't know, I've, I've learned about the world, you know, like I've, I've learned how to navigate it to keep myself safe. And, um, sometimes to navigate it from, to keep me safe means that, well, the way that it, it felt safe for me was to numb. And so I was reaching for alcohol and drugs and attention from boys and food and shopping and anything that felt better to me, anything that could elicit some type of like, some type of excitement or some type of ease. That felt safe to me because inside of me always felt unsafe. It always felt anxious. It always felt like I was afraid or waiting for the other shoe to drop or like there's a chaos inside me, you know, that just kind of lives there, just is there. <laughs> it's still there today. You know, it's still, it's still how I live my life. It's, um, it's loud and it kind of, it definitely can run rampant if I don't dial it back. And if I'm not self-aware of my feelings and my thoughts, and if I don't practice ways to redirect my feelings, you know, because I didn't understand that it was CPTSD, complex PTSD, complex trauma. I didn't know that that's what that was. And now that I do know, it's my responsibility to read about it, to learn about it, and to grow, to change and to heal and to parent myself in the way that I that I've always needed, you know, ways that I still need. I still need a parent. I know that I'm 31 years old. I still need a parent. I still need that support and that guidance. And I need love. And I need I need connection, essentially, is what it is. And being isolated in telling my truth for so long, that is what has caused all of this harm. And so that's why I think I'm so passionate. I have to address the fact from my own life and for any other life that I could potentially literally save by doing this podcast and by talking about these things, by sharing parts of my story that are really freaky to me, like they make my voice shake. I'm unsure if this is even going to be received well. I don't even know how it sounds coming out of my mouth. I think I'm just like letting it flow. And without me being vulnerable and open and honest in a compassionate way towards myself and others, I have to do this. Like I have to tell my story and I have to tell the truth because it's the only way that allows me to not isolate. It's the only way that allows the inside of my heart and my mind to be on the outside and to show you guys what I've been experiencing, maybe in a way that like allows you to relate to me and maybe our stories are similar and maybe that will create a connection and maybe that'll save a life. Like that is what fuck small talk is all about because part of my story is the suicidal ideation that I went through for guys all of my life. Like I was, I was a kid the first time that I had a thought that it would just be so much easier if I just didn't have to deal with this shit. You know, like if I just didn't have to feel the way that I felt on the inside because it was so confusing that how I felt I was hearing from everybody else outside of me that I wasn't allowed to tell anybody about it. Like, I wasn't allowed to be myself. What do you mean? Like, I can't tell you what's going on at home. I can't tell you how I feel. I can't tell you that I don't want to be here anymore. I can't tell you that I don't understand why life is precious. I can't tell you that I'm scared. I can't tell you all these things. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yes, I fucking can. And I need to in order to feel 
like life is worth living in order to feel real, in order to feel like, like I matter. And in order to recognize that other people feel this way too, like we cannot stay silent and we can't hush hush people that are talking about these controversial topics or what, however you, whatever word you want to say, like taboo topics, controversial, like those are all stupid words to me. Like, what do you mean? Like, if it's your reality, if it's true, if it did happen to you, if it is how you see the world, if it is your truth, how is it that you can't share that? Says who? Society? Your parents? Like, fuck that, actually. Like, we are adults. We need to heal. We need to grow. We need to look inward and share parts of ourselves, our past, our present thoughts, our dreams for the future in order to be able to have a future that isn't rooted in these patterns and these habits that just lead us back to numbing in various ways because we're unhappy with our life. Like going back to an addiction because we're like, I don't know, I don't know how to like process life and I don't know how to be myself. I don't know how to say what I need to say. And so nobody knows who I really am. And like, you know, that is shame. You know, that is the definition of shame. If you ever catch yourself saying, you know, if you only knew who I really am, or if you only knew the real me, then you wouldn't want to be my friend or you wouldn't understand me or you'd think I was crazy or you, you know, whatever it is, like all of those things, those are real statements that I hear in my head over and over and over again. And I got tired of listening to it. I got tired of letting it tell me that I'm not good enough and that I should be quiet. And that's the only way that anybody's going to care about me or love me or want to be my friend or listen to me or learn from me or connect with me. Like, no, it's not true. I have to tell my truth. And I guess that's what I'm doing here in a roundabout all over the place way. So Man, it's probably going to take a couple of episodes for me to tell my story. Thank goodness I, uh, you know, have this podcast that is just ongoing and I can tell my story however I want, however it comes out, I guess. I'm going to talk a little bit about CPTSD. And so I'm talking about the symptoms of CPTSD because, uh, yes, I have been diagnosed with complex trauma. And so what this means is that we have these symptoms, right? We have these tendencies for those of us that may be struggling with this. So if you have any of these symptoms, you may be suffering from this as well and just not have the words or the tools to understand what's been going on with you. Because for me, it was like light bulbs going off. When I heard the term adult child, when I started to comprehend and, and understand what PTSD was and that it was unresolved trauma in my body, I was like, holy shit, this is exactly the answers that I've been looking for. This says me like to a T. And so some of the symptoms are impulsive behavior. <laughs> um, and I just, I mean, of course that ties in with addiction, right? We just, we choose things. Sorry, I just snapped my fingers. I forget I'm on a podcast. Um, <laughs> we choose things instinctively or just um, Im impulsively to make us feel better in the moment right away. We're like without even thinking or processing. We don't play the tape forward of how this is going to affect us negatively, positively, anything in the future. We're just like, yep, I'm going to choose that right now. So I'm I'm going to drink this beer. I'm going to take this shot. I'm going to choose this drug. I'm going to buy everything in my Amazon cart right now. I'm going to, um, you know, sleep with this guy. I'm going to do these things, whatever it is that just like in the moment, it feels good right now. 
even if in the future it's going to be harmful or detrimental to me in some way, shape or form. Right. That is definitely a symptom of my life. Welcome to my life. Another symptom that I have. And so I'm just expressing some of the symptoms that um, come through in my life. And it is OK and normal um, for all of these to to not fit you to a T. But these are some of my symptoms that are associated with CPTSD. So impulsive behavior and therefore addiction um, because it's impulsive behavior that is repeated over time. Deep fear of abandonment, which to me also is codependency. And so I've been doing a lot of inner healing work trying to understand addiction and how to heal from that and codependency, which in short, I just kind of say it's addiction to a person. Um, I don't know if that's totally accurate. Don't come for me. But like, that's how I view my codependency is like clinging um, to people that are not necessarily the best for me and my personal growth or my happiness or my mental health or whatever. But it's this fear of abandonment that goes along with my relationships, even in friendships and things like that. So I know that that stems from my attachment style, my avoidant attachment or my anxious attachment as a kid with my parents, you know, so I understand and recognize now through all the the training that I've done and the the reading and educating myself, I guess, on my own symptoms, kind of understanding that like this fear of abandonment is this little girl in me, not wanting mom and dad to leave to go to the bar, not wanting them to drink because I knew that that meant that they were leaving me. And when they're drunk, I can't reach them. You know, like I can't find my mom. I can't find my dad. Um, and a different version of them comes through. And I don't want that version of them to be here because I'm scared and they don't feel reliable. Right. And so there's this fear of abandonment that I picked up as a little kid. And now as a 31 year old, I'm really trying to unlearn that because it it has been how I practice relationships and it's gotten me in trouble. You know, it leads to unmanageability for sure. Um, that being said, because of that clinging, right? Like Another symptom is low self-worth. So for me, it's um, low self-esteem, not feeling worthy enough. And all of that is attached to that term shame that I was talking about, that statement, you know, if you only knew who I really am, then you wouldn't love me and you wouldn't want to stay. Those are just um, not just it's it's a huge fucking deal that was instilled in me as a little kid that no matter how much I tried, no matter how many good grades I brought home, how many gold stars or stickers or how good I did on a book report, you know, for me, I did, I, I still do. I dive into academics because it's something that I'm good at and it's a way that I can bring home a trophy, right. Or whatever, um, to, to a parent, to my papa and Nana, to my mom, to my dad, to my sisters, to people that love me. And I can show them like, Hey, look at, look at, see, I am worth something. Look at my value. It's proof right here on this piece of paper that a teacher gave me. Um, it's how I felt when I got on the Dean's list in college. It's how I felt when I graduated with my master's degree. You know, it's how I feel when I do the, the good thing that I feel like other people will give me praise for. And I still, I find myself doing that. Like I pine for people's attention and positive feedback, you know, and words of affirmation are a huge part of my love language. And I know that I know that I have to train myself and I have been over my four years of recovery, training myself and healing myself by giving that to myself and not needing to seek outside myself for that validation. Because um, when we pine for people's attention in that way, 
over and over and over again. And we feel like we don't have worth by ourselves in who we are, that we have to like hear it from someone else that we're worthy. That just spirals and continues the cycle of codependency and feeling that we need another person. And that if this person leaves, it means that we aren't good enough. And all of that is just fucked up and not true. <laughs> if I'm just being blunt. Other symptoms of CPTSD include anxiety and depression. Hello, welcome to my life. Um, I have been through the ringer in the last four years trying to figure out my mental health diagnosis. And so for a while, I was diagnosed as bipolar too. And um, we, through different med changes and everything and different therapies, uh, I think that that diagnosis has been removed and we are more so focusing on the fact that this is complex trauma. It's complex PTSD which has the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder at the same time. And so there are moments and sometimes I feel it like day to day, which is really frustrating where I, my depression, it just feels so heavy and it's where I live. And then the next day, or even in the, in the same day, you know, it like it pings from feeling depressed and not wanting to really do much to anxiety and feeling like I have to do all the things. And then sometimes it's like, I have so much to do that I just choose not to do anything at all. Um, and it just, uh, I, I feel like somehow I'm not the only one and that you guys can relate to that. There's got to be someone out there that relates to that. I know I'm not alone in a lot of these symptoms. So hence, you know, the reason why I think it's important to share them. Another symptom that really stuck out to me when I was learning about complex trauma is memory issues. Um, my childhood friends. Um, if they are listening, hello, guys, um, I'm talking about Lisa and Mackenzie. They were the only two other girls in kindergarten with me. And so there was just the three of us. And we were the three musketeers all through college. I'm going to get into that story at a, in a future episode. However, I remember being on the playground with Lisa and Mackenzie. And um, like throughout our lives, you know, we grew up together. And so they knew me as a little kid and they experienced so many things with me. And they have so many memories <laughs> that I don't have. Like I legit don't remember a lot of the stuff that they were telling me that I was I was at this event or I did this with this person or I don't remember. Like there are so many things in my past that I just have no memory. It's a big black spot, I guess, of my childhood. There's so much that I just can't recall. And um I know that obviously, you know, through learning and reading about this is that it's a huge symptom that people with CPTSD suffer from. And it can be really detrimental to like, it, it even adds to the confusion of just like gaslighting myself a little bit to be like, did that happen? Or maybe it wasn't that bad. Or was it really as bad as I think? Or things like that, you know, because I remember the big events, the big explosive events that were, you know, stamps in my memory certain points of time, but I don't remember a lot of things, just like the general day to day. So I don't know. That's weird for me. And then another symptom is feeling like no one understands you, um, feeling like very alone in the world and that there's nothing that you can do to have people uh, hear who you are and relate to you and understand. So that really snowballed into me feeling like it would just be better if I wasn't here. And so that snowballed into suicidal ideation, which is part of my history, you know, and it's 
it's something that I'll talk about off and on throughout this podcast. And so I do want to apologize just because I feel like it's an authentic thing to apologize if I am triggering anybody with um, just bringing up that that part of my story from time to time kind of randomly throughout my episodes. I just want to address that. I, I'll probably continue to do that. Um, and I think my whole point of doing that is one, because I'm a scatterbrain. And so it's just going to come out when it comes out, whenever I'm, I'm needing to talk about it in a sentence. And the other part is the wraparound definition of this podcast title of fuck small talk, right? Like, I know that it's painful. I know that so many of us have experienced people's people leaving us through their choice um, to end their life. And, um, or um, I don't mean to call it a choice either. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I think it's all jumbled. And I think that a lot of us don't have the language or the, the words to talk about those really hard feelings that surround that topic in particular, suicide and suicidal ideation. But that is the fucking problem. Like that is, I, that is what I mean when I say that we have to talk about it. If people feel like they can talk about any of these symptoms of PTSD or CPTSD, I mean, any of the symptoms of addiction, if they feel like they can come forward and say, hey, I have been struggling with a substance and I think it is addiction and I think it is harming me and I don't know how to get out of it. And, you know, it's leading me to think that maybe ending my life is the right answer, you know, and me, I'm just confused. And what, you know, maybe I need help. Like if we're unwilling and unable to come forward with that and be vulnerable because we're afraid of the outcome, that is what kills people. That is what ends people's lives. Not saying fuck small talk, like keeping the silence, staying quiet, keeping the peace, walking on eggshells, enabling the abuser, saying that addiction is because people are weak or whatever, shaming people that struggle with addiction or struggle with um, even just like overusing a substance in a period of their life. Like you don't even have to call it addiction. You know what I mean? Like fuck labels if you don't like them. Fuck trauma if you don't even like to call it that. Simply things that you've experienced in your life have shaped you to be how you are. That is fact. And so however you want to word it, however it feels good to you, whatever, that's awesome. I'm here to say that we got to talk about that, though. We have to talk about it. We have to be open about it and recognize that we are emotional beings. We have emotions. We are human beings on planet Earth, which means that we have this we come fully equipped with all of the emotions that it takes to experience a full life and what what is the issue is that we've been trained through society and through our parents and through whatever else just uh, just got everything the culture of how we were raised tells us wrongfully that logic is preferred emotion is weak and that we can't share our feelings. It is what is killing people. And I'm not here for it at all. So um, I think that this is probably where I'm going to end. I'm just, uh, yeah, this is where I, this is where I think I'm going to end this episode for today. Just um, expressing being an adult child growing up in a home like that and how it led to so much dysfunction for me, how it led to my own addiction and to my now 
uh, my life. You know, I live with complex trauma and I also am not living there. I'm not sitting in it and I'm not throwing a pity party for myself anymore. I'm not playing that victim card anymore. I did that for years and it didn't work for me. It got me nowhere except deeper and deeper in my own head, which is not a safe place to be. Like if I'm if I'm isolating and I'm only relying on my own thoughts and feelings, I'm not in a good neighborhood. And so I have taken my recovery journey so seriously to save my own life and to save other people that may be struggling in the same ways. Please, please do the brave thing and share how you're feeling today with somebody, you know, and my DMs are always open. Like you can always find me on social media, go into the show notes and figure out how you can follow me, how you can please go follow the podcast, do all of these things and connect, not just with me, connect with the people in your life, connect with your support people. If you don't have support people, recognize that there are literally full communities and groups of people that are dedicating part of their life to healing and making sure that they move forward the best way possible. And we can't do that by ourselves. We have to do that with community and by connecting. Just know that you can reach out at any time and I am done now and have a beautiful day and I love you all. Fuck Small Talk is produced in partnership with Be Easy Marketing. It would mean so much if you took the time right now to follow the pod and give a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'll see you guys here next week for another Big Talk topic. Until then, let's keep moving forward. Mm -hmm.